The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. What seeds are you planting that you don't plan to harvest? What seeds are you planting for the next generation to harvest? What are you planting but you don't plan on eating the fruit of what you've planted and you wanna leave that for someone else to benefit from. Here's the deal, right? Like every one of us, we, we understand this concept of ROI, right? Like return on investment. If I put a seed in the ground and I only get one seed as a result, that's not a very good investment. I should have just kept my seed. And the amount of work that goes into planting a seed and tending to the little garden, if I only got two seeds, that doesn't seem like much of a deal, right? And so. Just like the concept in farming is that you put a seed in the ground because you expect a really good return on investment, we live our lives, right? That's the idea of work. You go to work, you put in good work, and you get a paycheck in return. Now, now, most people, let's be honest, right, are living for the moment. They're, they're working to get so they can spend and have or enjoy or do something right. And so we, we very quickly want to go from planting to harvesting. Now, some people, some of you are, are very sharp. You're very capable with your finances. And so you understand the idea of investing in compound interest, which means you, you, whatever seed you harvest, you want to put it back in the ground because you know that over time, it will produce more and more and more. And so you know that if you start young and you, you start investing, um, that that will grow and compound throughout your life. And then you'll, you'll be very wealthy much later in life because you gave your, to- your money enough time to grow. And, and so the reality is most of us, uh, me, you, all of us, we, we invest, we do things with the hope of a good return. Think about it, right? You invest into a relationship because it's networking. You can get something back as a return. Even if it's not a business networking situation, you're putting into a friendship because you're hoping to get something out of that friendship. You're, you're doing hard work. Some of you, have, you've built a business, you've labored, you put in long hours, day after day, week after week, month, years, right, of time invested with the hope of a significant return on that investment. Eventually, there'll be a payoff. But what are you planting that you don't hope to harvest? What are you planting that you hope next generations can harvest? What are you planting that you may never see harvested, but you hope somebody generations down the road gets the privilege of harvesting that? Now, keep that in mind as I shift and talk about the story of an early church that lost sight of that. Uh, I'm wrapping up a sermon series called What If, talking about the Apostle Paul riding two letters to the church in Thessalonica, right? A church that he started as he was traveling on his missionary trips uh, in, the, in the region, in, in the city of Thessalonica, an important city, one with prominence and power. As he started the church, it created a threat within the city. And so they drove him out. Later, as he continues his trip, he ends up in the city of Corinth, where in the spring and fall of that year, he writes two letters back to the church in Thessalonica because he heard word very quickly that the the persecution of the church continued. But it wasn't the threats and it wasn't the persecution that were the problem. It was the way they were reacting to and responding to these threats, right? People were losing their jobs. They were being driven out of their communities. 
So others reacted and they, they began, as Christians, they began to huddle up in catacombs, right? They went underground and there's famous catacombs near this ancient city of Thessalonica where the Christians would gather underground in these caves in prayer, in worship. And what they did was they took their faith and it became invisible. And so the Apostle Paul is writing these letters to challenge them. Yes, times are tough, but I want you to know that it's going to get tougher. Oh, thanks. He goes, no, no, no. My point is that yes, evil will increase, but the, the more evil increases, the closer you're getting to the end. And I want you to know that God is with you. And so he's challenging them to, to live boldly, to love loudly, to, to serve others, right? To let the life of God not stay underground, but become something visible that anyone and everyone around them can see. And so he even includes this idea about money. If you jump into his second letter, chapter 3, and I'm going to read a few verses of it to you. He, he says this, starting in verse Six, he goes, in, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor do we eat anyone's, uh, anyone's food without paying for it. And, he, and so he's making kind of this point. What is, what is the Apostle Paul getting at as I read this passage? And why would I read that to you? He, he's going like this. He, here, here's what's happening in this second letter. He gets word that things have gone from bad to worse in the city of Thessalonica for the church. The threats are worse. The persecution is worse. And so Christians that hadn't lost their jobs or been driven away from their homes started quitting their jobs preemptively, leaving their homes and hiding. Here was what was, here's what the conversation sounded like in those um, huddles. Well, let's just hang out here. Others that are concerned for us will provide for us. You know, people in the community were providing food and other churches were trying to send resources. And, and the idea was this. We're just going to wait until Jesus comes back and rescues us. So they weren't doing anything. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, you saw the way we lived among you. We were there, it was trouble, right? There was persecution, but we worked hard among you. We didn't, nobody just gave us a whole bunch of food and took care of us, we took care of ourselves. We worked hard and we funded the startup of this church. We were generous toward you. And so you should do the same thing we did for you. So avoid those who are idle and disruptive, meaning here's what happens, right? A bunch of people sitting around with nothing to do who are just scared, but they're also bored. He goes, they, they, are, they start to cause trouble. They become disruptive. You somehow work and working for others, planting seed. A farmer doesn't have a lot of time to be disruptive, right? He's got, like, anybody who, you work a farm, you know. You rise before, before light and you're working all day, right? Some of them, they're, we, we, I know farmers, man, they're getting up, and at times when most of you have never seen that time, except when you were in college doing it all night or doing things you shouldn't have been doing, right? Like getting up at four, four o'clock, 4.30 in the morning out t tending to livestock, right? And, and a farmer doesn't have time to be disrupted. He said, here's what happens. When you become idle, you become disruptive. When you're not living your life for others, you start to live selfish and self-focused. He goes, so I wanna, I wanna challenge you with this idea 
of seeds. Now, Jesus used the metaphor of seeds and sowing and farming. Let me, let me give you two examples specifically about what we have here. Now, I have mustard seeds in my hand. We gave out mustard seed packets to anybody who's in our physical locations. For those of you joining us online, we did something really clever. If you scratch your computer screen, we have this scratch and sniff technology that it'll start to smell like mustard. No, I'm just kidding. Totally don't do that. Don't scratch your TV. I'm totally messing with you. Wouldn't that be fun though? Like we could create like the whole 4D experience. We could just blow mustard smell on you. I don't, although if I had to pick a smell, it would not be mustard. So there it is. Anyway, we, we got mustard seeds for you to have in your hand. If you're joining us online and you want some, shoot us a quick email and we'll try to get one in the mail to you. All right. Now that's going to be funny because then we have to send out a whole bunch of, uh, of uh, mustard seed packets. Here, here's what Jesus said. If you go to Mark chapter 4. Verse 30, he says, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? What parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Now, you know, Jesus was not trying to make a horticultural or botanical statement here. If, some, if anybody knows, the mustard seed is not the smallest seed on the planet. Uh, the orchid is the smallest. But Jesus is talking to an agrarian culture where they do plant mustard. He goes, of every seed you know on the planet, this one's the smallest, right? He goes, so what, what am I saying here? Yet when you plant it, so it's this, it's this tiny little seed that when you plant it, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants. Such big branches that birds can come and perch in its shade. So Jesus is connecting the dots between um, the kingdom of God being this tiny little thing that when planted in your life, it can grow into something significant. When you participate in the work of the kingdom of God, you plant little tiny seeds that are nearly invisible, right? I actually had to keep this in a baggie because if I put them in my hand, the camera wouldn't even pick up the seeds, right? Just tiny little seeds because God's kingdom works like that. In, out of your life comes these little tiny things, that produce something significant. In fact, when Jesus is talking about faith, he uses the same metaphor of the mustard seed in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. He says, he replied because uh, they, they were wondering what, when, when the disciples were praying for someone and they weren't supernaturally healed, they were like, what's wrong? He goes, because you have such little faith. Now he's not talking about having such small faith because he's gonna use the illustration of a mustard seed. He says, you have such little faith or like you have such weak faith. Your faith is not germinating, right? A seed has little value for the farmer unless it germinates. He goes, You're, the faith in you is not germinating. I'll tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would pick up and it would move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And so there is a, there's a principle of Jesus regarding how God's kingdom works in the world that we live in. And so let me just kind of go back and I want to illustrate this for you. Hopefully you have seeds in your hand or you can see it. So we're going to put the picture on the screen for you of what these seeds in the hand looks like, right? Like you have it, just these tiny little seeds. Now let me jump over and I'm going to show you not, not just a mustard plant that grows up in the garden, but let's say you didn't harvest it. Right, you just let that mustard plant just continue to grow. And Jesus is talking about this bush that plants can come, I mean, birds can come and, and land on and, and perch in. So check out this picture of a mustard plant. This isn't a mustard tree, just a plant that didn't get harvested and it keeps growing. 
pretty significant. Now, let me give you a little bit of information about mustard. Thought you might be interested. So uh, the average mustard plant, again, one that a farmer would plant and then harvest at the end of the year. Each plant will produce 1,200 mustard seeds. That's right, 1,200. So if you took all those 12, so if you had one seed, right, you got, you got this little packet, but if you took one of those seeds and you planted it, it's gonna produce a mustard plant that you can harvest and it'll have 1,200 mustard seeds. If you took all 1,200 of those and planted them, right, and then, you, and then you took all of the harvest of that next year and you planted those again, by the end of the third year, you would have 1.7 billion seeds or about 38 tons of mustard seeds. That's a huge, you would actually have, you could, with that, you could take over about 2% of the U.S. mustard market. And by the end of the fourth season, I mean, if you just kept replanting all of that seed back in the ground, you would be able to dominate the world mustard market within four years. So I thought today, I gave you guys your mustard seeds. I just want to give you a business tool. I mean, some of you, you're going to go farming and you're going to, I mean, you're going to do awesome. You're going to take, LifeHouse is going to take over the $600 million mustard market. And, uh, and, and that's fun, right? But that's not even my point, right? It, the point is how fast it exponentially grows. There are seeds that when you plant them, they grow. They produce a harvest, right? Mustard seeds are unique because they have a 95 to 100% germination rate, which means nearly every one of them is going to sprout and grow the next season. What's the point? There are some things that when you plant them, they grow significantly. And if you keep replanting them, you may not get the privilege of enjoying 38 tons of mustard seed. But if you keep putting it back in the ground year after year, it'll produce something significant for the next generation. There are seeds that take generations to grow. Think sequoia tree. Think oak trees. You can plant the acorn. And if you don't just immediately cut down the tree, generations from now, they'll be able to harvest an oak tree that has significant value. These kind of things that grow large through our lives, let me give you three seeds that I know of that are, that are God's kingdom seeds, prayer. You can pray the kind of prayers that you, are you only praying for you and for your benefit, things that will help you? Or are you praying the kind of prayers that could benefit others? Praying the kind of prayers that generations from now, people will be impacted. Prayer is the kind of seed that grows at a kingdom level. Serving. When you live your life to serve others, you can serve others and it produces kingdom impact and then generosity. So I want to talk about two of those. What does it look like for you and I to, through faith and obedience, to begin to, to live out the mustard seed kingdom principles. And so I wanna give you this principle. It's based on what Paul is writing in that passage about not living an idle, disruptive life, but working hard. He's making this point. Live and give generously. Live generously, give generously. Now, let's go back to this ROI. This idea that, you know, most of us are living for ourselves, right? Like meaning I get a return on my investment. If I work hard, I get a paycheck. If I, if I put a lot of effort and energy into my business, it will grow and I'll get a re good return on that investment. The reality is most of us expect that when we work hard and we do good things, we get good results. And then we get frustrated when bad things come. But Jesus talks about the fact that 
Out of, out of the good tree, good fruits produce. Out of a bad tree, bad fruit is produced. Meaning the roots determine the fruit. And so most of us, we expect that, hey, I've done good and I should get good. But if we evaluate the roots, it's, it explains why we've got some bad fruit hanging on our trees. Right? Let's be honest. Every one of us have had fruit on our trees that came from the result of the roots that we didn't want anybody to see. What's growing on your tree right now? What fruit is coming out of your life? Meaning what seeds have you allowed to be planted in your heart that are producing the fruit that you don't want? Let me say this. There is spiritual fruit coming out of your life that's a reflection of spiritual seeds called sin. Sin is anything that goes the opposite direction of God's best for your life. God wants you to go to the right and you go to the left. God wants you to say yes and you say no. God wants to guide you toward the best kind of relationship for your life and you go, no, I wanna settle for something less. That's sin. But sin isn't just something we do. Sin is who we are. Right? We have a heart that is rooted in sin and it produces fruit of sin that falls back into the soil of our soul that keeps regerminating sin fruit. The result of this is that it separates us from relationship with God and it heads us toward a life of ruin and an eternity far from God. But God. One of my all-time favorite statements I get to make in any and every sermon is but God. God refused to let you and I be the product of endless weeds and endless bad fruit. But he couldn't just pluck all the bad fruit off the trees. God had to deal with the root of sin. Well, how do you deal with the soul root of sin? Here's what God did. He stepped from heaven to earth to become one of us, to take on the sacrifice or become the sacrifice for our sin problem. Sin problem can only be dealt with in death. So Jesus died the eternal death we deserve, the eternal death sentence we face. Jesus took that punishment on himself. He died in our place once for all. So that when Jesus died, listen to me, he was severing the root system of sin from every soul that believes in him by faith. Let me say that again, because that's really important. You believe in Jesus by faith. The root system of sin is severed in your life. You're separated from sin and you are reunited into relationship with God through faith in Jesus because Jesus not only died, he not only severed the root for you, he rose from the dead. And when you are united in faith with Jesus, there is a, a reconnection with a new root system in God's spirit where the life of the God's spirit now begins to flow into your soul. When the life of God is flowing in you, there is a new root system that's pumping inside of you. Look, maybe for some of you, you're looking at this right now and you're recognizing, wait, I need a new life. I need to begin to live new. That's right. This message is not just about... Um, money and, and how you live generously, but really about you need, the, you need a generous God to uproot and reroot you, to sever off of you the connection with sin and, and unite you with his spirit. And the way that begins 
is by saying yes to Jesus by faith. In fact, if that's where you're at right now and you're ready to say yes to Jesus by faith, can I encourage you and challenge you? Would you make a commitment to Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, as your rescuer? And would you allow God's spirit to come into your spirit? And if you're saying yes to Jesus right now, you're making a commitment to Jesus, would you let someone know? Would you let your friends know? Let your family know? Let a coworker know. Tell somebody this week that you made a commitment to believing in Jesus and you became a Christian. Maybe you thought you were a Christian before because you went to church, but now you understand that being a Christian is about having a relationship with Jesus through faith. Don't just let somebody know. Let us know putting a QR code up on the screen so you can scan that, fill out the form. One of our campus pastors is gonna follow up with you and encourage you as you begin this new relationship with Jesus. Now, for those of you that you believe in Jesus, Jesus severs the root system of sin. That doesn't mean there's not still some fruit, sin fruit hanging on the tree. All right, there's still some consequences. There's still some reality of sin in our life. But what happens when you sever the roots? The fruit starts to die. Things should eventually start to change in your life. Doesn't mean there's not any fruit there that doesn't belong there. It means it takes time for your life behaviors and habits and actions to change. But over time, what's in the roots should begin to reflect in the fruit. So if Jesus has given you a new soul root system, connected to his spirit, what should eventually begin to happen is God's spirit should begin to produce fruit of the spirit in your life. Now, God is a giver. God is generous. God loves you and lavishes his love on you. Because God lavishes his love on you and God is generous towards you, here's what you can be confident of. That you, you don't have to be the one who farms every seed and does all of the work and makes everything happen in your life. In essence, you are not your provider. You're freed. When you are connected to the root system of God's spirit, you understand that God's spirit is lavishing his love on you. God is your provider. Your, your provision is God's priority. He's looking out for you. Now, most of the time, he will work through your job, your skills, your education, your discipline, your hard work, right? Like God can work through the mundane to provide for you, but God can also work through the miraculous. Now, what most of us want is that God always works through the miraculous, but in my experience and in the teachings of Jesus, you discover that most of the time, God is working through the mundane. He provides through your job. He provides through relationships. He provides through your discipline and your diligence. So yes, as the Apostle Paul wrote, we need to work. So let's jump back into 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8 through 11. Let me read a little bit more to, toward you. He goes like this. No, uh, he goes, we work night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Why? We did this not because we didn't have the right to such help, he goes, man, I was there. I could have just said, hey, you guys got to help us out as we're leading this church. He goes, but I wanted to, I wanted to work hard and night and day. Like, right, like this is him saying, like, I'm putting in farmer hours. Night and day, long days. I mean, these are 12-hour days, like nursing, nurses' schedule days, 18-hour days. Some of you are working two jobs, you know, like, man, just long, 
long days. You work in a double shift. You work in a 16-hour day. You can't do that a lot, right? But you put in long days. He goes, we did this because we wanted to make sure that even though we had the right to do this, we did it because in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. He goes, so um, he goes, we want you to imitate this. We want you to copy our example. What's the, what's the important lesson? So let me, let me keep reading those gifts. Um, we hear that some of you are idle. Some, some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Now, it's clearly a play on words. The Apostle Paul is trying to make an important point. He goes, you have a choice. You can either be busy working hard, being productive and producing, or you can be a busy body, sitting around, not doing anything, talking and gossiping and, you know, and causing trouble, being disruptive. He goes, some of you, you're not, do, you're not working hard and you're just being a busy body. You're causing trouble. Instead, you should be working hard and helping others. Now, this isn't just a message. Please hear me. This isn't just a message about work hard, okay? I can do a whole different message on diligence. This is a message about how we live, and we should live generously. Remember, I started by asking you, what seeds are you planting that you're not hoping to harvest? A key seed that you and I plant is the seed of service. You know what the answer, the response to the world's selfishness is? the church's service. When everyone else is selfish, a Christian serves. And your heart of service, living generously, which means I don't consume all of my time for myself. Every day off, it's not about me. Every vacation day isn't only for me. Everything about my life is, is not... Um, self-centered. I'm not self-absorbed. When I live generously, that means I'm living to serve and help others. It means I recognize that I have a part in God's kingdom. A seed that you can regularly sow is when you sow the seeds of service, of generous living. How am I using my life to benefit others? What is your part in the church? Where can you say yes to being part of a dream team. We have lots of opportunities, both in the church and through the church. You can go on a mission trip. You can join an outreach team. You can join various areas of compassion ministries. You can join a hospitality team or a children's ministry team or a youth leadership team. You can become part of what God's doing in and through the church. Live generously. One of the uh, sayings I've heard used and I've said it myself is that when we live generously, what it means is that it's sowing seeds and your fruit is growing on someone else's tree, right? We, we wanna sow seed and then we get the fruit of it. No, no, living generously means I sow seed and the fruit, my fruit grows on someone else's tree, meaning their life benefits from my investment, the investment of my time, my energy, my resources. Now, let me jump back into this um, the writing of the Apostle Paul here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, where again, I'm, I'm just going to read it to you again. He goes, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Why? Why we do this? We did this because we did not have, even though, because we do not, did we do, well, I can't read. We did this not because we don't have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. We were, we were an example of what? What was an example of? Of, of giving generously. He wasn't just saying, we, it's not just that we work hard, it's that, so we're living 
generously. It's that we give generously. Can I challenge you? How can you begin to shift your life to give generously? Yep, this is the moment. This is the moment where you cringe. Where you go, yep, Lifehouse, like every other church, they just want my money. No, this isn't about us wanting your money. This is about you starting to learn how to be a farmer. In fact, this will be the hardest thing you'll probably ever do. It's the hardest part of, every, of a sermon. It's the hardest part of the teaching because here's what I know. We, I, I've, I've researched this, I've investigated it. Giving is one of the last disciplines a Christian begins. They, they will read the Bible, they will pray. People will even start fasting, meaning giving up their, their favorite foods or a favorite meal in order to spend time in prayer before they give. It seems like money is one of the greatest strongholds in America. It's got a grip on our hearts. Look, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm saying this will, if you could get this, it'll transform your life. If you could, if you could get your hands off of your stuff and your paycheck, and first by saying, God, I trust you. You're my provider. And my provision is your priority. So it doesn't have to be my priority. And then shift to living generously and giving generously. How, how, how does this happen? When you begin to recognize that you can give as a mustard seed, not hoping for your, a return on your own investment for yourself, but saying, I'm gonna give to God. This is you giving to the kingdom of God. You're not giving to Patrick. You're not even giving to Lifehouse. You are giving to God through Lifehouse. And when you give to God through Lifehouse, you become part of what God's doing here. You become part of what God's doing through Lifehouse, the impact we have in our community, the impact we have together in the different cities that we're part of, through the churches that we start, through the, the missionaries we're able to support, through the missions we support, through the out, everything that's happening in and through Lifehouse, you have a personal investment on. So there's a, there's a biblical principle of sacrificial generosity. It begins in Genesis chapter one and it goes through the entire Bible all the way to Revelation chapter 22. God is generous and we as followers of God become generous like him. But there's also a pattern because you could ask the, that's the why. And then there's a how, how do I do that? Well, there's a pattern. You start to see it before the 10 commandments, before the law is established. There's a story about, um, Abraham giving a tithe to Melchizedek, who is representative of Jesus. You fast forward throughout the whole Bible and you see this pattern of people setting aside 10% of their income to God. And so we continue that pattern. We're not saying it's a law. We're saying it's a pattern that we follow. So if we're gonna be generous, how do we do that? Well, we begin by setting aside 10% of our income to God through the church. So when you give, thank you. But no, understand that we're not demanding it. We get the privilege of participating with God in his miraculous provision in and through the church as we give. Now, you can give above and beyond. I, I don't have time right now to talk with you about kingdom builders. You're gonna hear about those, about kingdom builders throughout the year, but um, that's above and beyond your 10%. And when you give to that, that's what we do through the church. The point is this. It, it's about shared sacrifice, a heart of generosity. Look, I get it. This is a tough season. We, we got the economy is all over the place. Some of you are doing great. 
others are suffering. I mean, inflation has taken a significant chunk of your income. I get it. But please, if I could challenge you, loosen your grip on getting, on keeping, on everything you sow, you reap. Say, God, I want to I want to start making an investment. I want to put some seed in the ground that I don't get a benefit from. I want, to, I want to sow seeds into eternity. I want to sow seeds onto the field of the next generation. I want to be a blessing to others. And God, let the fruit grow into eternity. Let me, when I get into eternity, see the impact of my generosity. Can I take a moment and I want to pray over you? Well, this could be one of the most powerful moments of your life. If you would be freed from being driven to be your own provider, if you could be freed from the, the, the passion for getting and shift to becoming like Jesus and develop a passion for giving, to live generously, give generously. So I'm gonna pray over you. Maybe as I pray this, you can just take those seeds in your hand. Heavenly Father, help us to be willing to sow seeds that we won't harvest. Help us to sow the kind of seeds in prayer, in serving, in generosity that impact next generations. Help us to be the kind of church and Christians that we give generously through living generously and giving generously so that we can impact not just future generations, but other cities, other neighborhoods. We can plant and start other churches. We can impact other nations that it's not just something we do as a church, but it's something we do as each individual follower and family in Jesus. We participate in living and giving generously. God, we recognize that we may not see the ROI in our lifetime, but God, we're willing to live by faith, recognizing that faith like a mustard seed grows up and becomes an incredible harvest. And so God, by faith, we believe that our giving even in a season in our world where things seem so difficult. God, we wanna be part of the response. We respond to hell's greed with heaven's generosity. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.